Okay, guys, we are back with a super special episode today. And uh, man, am I excited about this one. We are in the heart of a series uh, where we're basically exploring the truth, the amazing truth of the Bible. And this is something we want you to know. We want you to be impacted by. Uh, to make a long story short, we've got a special guest with us in the studio today and uh, via Skype. But I'm gonna leave the surprise for you till after the intro is over, but you're not gonna wanna miss this one. And we're getting started right now. Here we go. Okay. We're, uh, we're back, and as always, love our theme music. It's just such a, a fantastic thing to rock out to. I've got, uh, I've got my friend in the studio with me here today, Don Medicus. We love Don. Of course, he's always here. You want to say anything to your lovely wife there, Chief? I just want to say happy anniversary. It was our 33rd anniversary Get yesterday. out. Happy yeah. anniversary, Don. That is so oh, exciting, congrats. man. That's awesome. Yeah, congrats, yeah. brother. Three, 33 years. Holy cow. Nice. Wow. That's like the age of your, yeah. your uh, marriage is as old as Jesus, man. When Amen. He, when he died, at least, to, you know, according to some accounts. Well, that's who put accounts. us together was Jesus. <laughs> Love it. Amen, brother. And then we also have with us the one and only Nick Nolfi. He is the uh, host of the Catholic OCD podcast, which... Uh, I was corrected earlier. I accidentally said the obsessive Christian doctrine. It is the... It could have went either way. It could have went either way. <laughs> I am obsessed with Christian doctrine. But uh, it's the objective... Yeah. The, ob uh, the Catholic ob OCD podcast. The objective Christian doctrine. Right. Yeah, objective Correct. Christian doctrine podcast. So we love that. And you can see me on that as well. He has uploaded a few videos. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to get right into it today uh, with a... Basically with a scripture verse... Uh, I'm going to read to you right now, and uh, this scripture verse basically means uh, a lot to the purposes of this study. Um, it is from the Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, where he talks about uh, basically the meaning of our Bible stories that we have, that these Bible stories have a purpose, and uh, you can see there in verse 11, it says, these things happen to them, the, the people in, in the wilderness and, uh, you know, the parting of the Red Sea and Mount Sinai and so on. And they were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Now, uh, I've talked quite a bit about how we know that these Bible stories are true and we can rest in that. It's just something solid for us to put our hope and our faith in. Uh, there's just, I think there's a lot of skepticism out there today. And, um, you know, long story short, uh, we've explored a few different locations. We've explored uh, the basically Noah's Ark, uh, what many believe to be Noah's Ark. We've looked at also Mount Sinai and the parting of the Red Sea locations. Uh, there, one of the videos that we showed was a uh, was put together by Ryan Morrow and I'm just going to get right to it we just happen to have him with us in studio via in studio in, stu in studio in studio via Skype today so uh we want to welcome Ryan to the studio Ryan 
How you doing, man? I'm doing all right. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. And uh, man, I honestly, I, I forgot to give you applause. Here's your, I know, I know you can't hear him, yeah, but we just, we just gave you some applause in the studio. We're so excited that you're here with us, man. And uh, oh, now I'm yeah. happy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so um, Ryan, I got to be honest with you, man. I'm like super excited to have you uh, uh, joining us here in this podcast. I know that I shared this with you before, but um, I, I actually, as a pastor, played your video, Finding the Mountain of Moses, for our congregation. I've shared it with many, many people, either on social media or in person, like I've just sent people links through, you know, text message and so on uh, over the years. Over the last, I don't know when you posted that. It may have been like, you know, four or five years ago. But over that time, I felt like it was one of the more concise, well put together, uh, it, it, that gave the full picture of this discovery of of basically of Mount Sinai and the Red Sea crossing, you know, you cover lots of different stuff in there, and um, you know, again, just super excited to have you on the show with us today, brother. Thank you so much. It's yeah. great to hear of uh, those successes of where, where people are, people have shown it in churches or how they've shared it with people because even though it's had millions of views, I usually don't hear those stories. So uh, it seems to almost happen in a vacuum for me where. Uh, I look at it and I said, man, that's amazing that it's gotten so many views. We're at about 8 million in 42 languages. Holy cow. Uh, which is, yeah, it's crazy. My, my um, goodness. But I don't get to hear a lot of those anecdotes of how it's impacted people. So I love hearing stories like the ones that you just yeah, shared. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I love it. And um, yeah, so uh, I'm going to introduce you to our other guys that we have in the studio here. Uh, we do have... Nick Nolfi, so he is the uh, host of the Catholic OCD podcast. He loves to get into doctrine. He's a cool guy. Um, yeah. and, and fellas, cool. he is cool. Yeah. AJ <laughs> uh, said you were here in the studio. I didn't see you. That's why I, I was looking in the arc thing at, at the beginning. But then he said you were on <laughs> Skype. We, I don't know if, yeah, we, we have sense. a, uh, I don't know if you can see the, uh, the picture of the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant there we have on my desk. Yeah, I saw it. Uh, my son bought that for me a few years ago, and I it, it actually has in there. It's got like it's got the little tablets. It's got uh, the Aaron's staff that budded along with the little jar of manna. It's uh, it's quite detailed. So yeah, that means you have to go find it. <laughs> yeah, it's a sign. It is. That's that'll be the next thing. Uh, we'll join you on a. Uh, we'll that'll be the next thing after the wilderness. Yeah. Uh, the wilderness expedition. So. Um, yeah, and uh, and then also we have Don Medicus. So Don is uh, he's always with me. He's a great guy, and and so yeah, it's a uh, pleasure to be here. But but again, just uh, super excited to have you on the studio here today. And uh, Ryan, I thought it would be fun to start things off by showing you a few things that we're doing uh, in our community, basically to combat. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily biblical illiteracy, but. Uh, I mean, just kind of a, you know, lack of faith, I guess, and uh, culturally, uh, this was something that I, I just felt like the Lord was putting on my heart, and uh, I'd, I'd like to get your take on this. Uh, we actually pushed out into the community to tell people here that the Bible stories are, tr are true, uh, not just by sharing things on this podcast, but by, uh, but by, but by putting our message on billboards. And so here is one of the billboards that we put uh, into our community, just basically says that the Bible is true. Get to know Jesus today. The other one, 
which you know is a little more interesting. It's it's one of my pet topics that I think a lot of uh, flies under the radar for a lot of people. But you know, I guess in my opinion, it sort of uh, it un- it undermines the authority of Scripture. I think. And that is that evolution is a lie. Teach creation science in public schools. So uh, I, I think we're uh, we're pushing out there. We're being um, uh, I don't know, man. I feel like we're being like the early church and just trying to share the truth of the Bible with people. To me, having a son who's in the public school system here, and I know a lot of people. Uh, don't necessarily think about this, about the, about the, uh, I, I guess the the influence of the things that our children are taught today. But uh, that's one of those things that that I feel like undermines a lot of the truthfulness and the need for God in our culture um, in a way that uh, I don't think we're 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 recognizing. Uh, uh, people are looking at the Bible maybe like it could be just a uh, a fantasy book, like it could be a uh, you know, like it could be something that's uh, metaphor. Um, and, and so I think not not embracing some of these narratives that we see early on in Scripture. The Exodus is one of those things as true events. I, I think it kind of undermines our. Um, I guess our ability culturally to to embrace God, if that makes any sense. Yeah, well, that's one of the things that messed with me at a young age because I didn't grow up in a really a devout Christian household. Uh, we believed in heaven because that was nice. Heaven's nice. So okay. Nice. So uh, we believed <laughs> yeah. in that. Um, but everything else uh, I wasn't learned in. I, wa- I wasn't really exposed to. And I thought most of this was myth um, or maybe all of it was yeah. myth. Um, but then I became a a Christian when I was maybe like 12 years old or something like that. Uh, but then my newfound faith took an immediate hit, uh, because I had a Bible for like preteens, uh, and it did say in there in the side column, something to the effect of, uh, that the consensus is that experts feel that the Exodus either didn't happen or they haven't found evidence of it. Um, it was something that cast down on it. And I was like, all right, so I, I believe I had a, some type of spiritual experience, but does that necessarily mean it was the God of the Bible? Does it really mean it was related to Jesus? Uh, and so that was a little bit of something I had to go through. Uh, and that's what ultimately led to me making this film uh, much later on, uh, because I started looking into this and I said, well, and a lot of people don't do what I'm about to describe I did, is I heard these criticisms, but I actually took the step of saying, well, there must be answers to those criticisms because there's still so many people who believe in Christianity. Uh, What I find is just anecdotally, uh, when I talk to different people, uh, they'll mention these things. Oh, it's a myth. Oh, there's this certain contradiction. There's a lack of evidence for this thing. This thing sounds crazy. Uh, But then they don't actually look at the rebuttal to that. Uh, and they kind of arrogantly say, oh, well, I, I debunked the whole thing because of this commonly referenced criticism that I just mentioned. Uh, like, what, you think Christians haven't heard that before? <laughs> like, obviously, there's an answer. Amen. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost like we, I think people use their own logic. Like, you know, this could happen, that couldn't happen. We're, you know, we're looking for um, any sort of, anything to 
make the Bible not true. Um, <laughs> it's culturally. I, it, to me, it, it speaks volumes as to maybe what, um, goodness gracious, like like what we as people we're, we're trying to it speaks more to what we're what we're trying to keep out of our lives. Maybe we're trying to keep God out of our life or something like that. Um, it, it, I certainly get that that impression sometimes in culture. But um, I, I, to me, you know, I heard that a lot of seminaries teach, and I, I went all the way through seminary. Um, I went to a conservative seminary, and I heard of other places where they teach that the Exodus is a myth, but this is right to your point and right to everything you're doing with the Doubting Thomas Research Foundation. And that is trying to show people that there is truth to these Bible stories and that we need to uh, see that, right? Right, and the way I approach it is, uh, I don't say that I'm, uh, that I'm uh, someone that's part of apologetics. Yeah. Like my goal isn't to answer every single criticism uh, there's other people who do that. All I'm trying to do is see to what degree we can reconcile the scientific record, the archaeological record, with the biblical record uh, and fairly present those that see those reconciliations and those that don't see those reconciliations and then just see what we have. Um, and when, when I first started reading the Bible, uh, one of the things that struck me was how it was not written like a myth. I remember when I opened up and I first started trying to absorb the thing, I thought, you know, there's a lot of weird stuff I don't understand, yeah. but the way they wrote it was there's a lot of specifics about they went from this land to that yeah. land and this happened there. It's just, it's not written like, like poetry or, or some fiction. Yeah. Story. Yeah. It's, it's got falsifiable information inside yeah. of it. Well, and obviously like, you know, you've had this great desire to put this film together and you said it's been showed to millions, it's had millions of views. So like, that's a great way to push out into culture because, um, you know, that's what we see in the Bible. It's something we've talked about quite a bit uh, in the in the course of this series that I'm doing now. And that's how the Apostle Paul went into pagan culture and he, and he talked to people. He wasn't afraid to share this biblical narrative of these stories with other people. Um, so, I mean, super great way to get out there and to let people see your message. Um, can you tell me a little bit about like kind of, I, I, I know that you did some, uh, you know, I, I guess work in espionage, uh, working in, in some capacity with the CIA. I don't know to what degree I, I won't, you know, ask you to fill in all the dots there. Uh, we'll leave some, some mystery for our viewers. Um, <laughs> but uh, but what, what took you from, you know, what you were doing in terms of that kind of work to what you're doing now, like like what what transitioned you to the Doubting Thomas Research Foundation, and made and made you want to push out into culture and help help build the faith of other people. Well, as the what's really amazing is that when you look at archaeology and you're studying these different issues, it actually does intersect with the knowledge of foreign affairs and that sort of yeah. thing, and. Since that's where I began my career when I was 16 years old, I was first hired as a geopolitical analyst for a small company. And that's where, um, that's just really been the path that God has put me on. Uh, learning about foreign affairs and developing that analytical skill, that research skill, uh, those are all abilities that later came into focus for me when I started looking into the biblical record and specifically the story of the Exodus. And so 
being trained as an analyst and working in national security and in counterterrorism actually was a good bridge uh, to prepare wow. me for when this video would uh, ultimately be made. And I didn't even intend on creating the documentary, by yeah. the way. Uh, I, I wanted to, for the sake of my own credibility, stay away from this. Uh, I just wanted to go to Saudi Arabia and see if these sites were true. And frankly, I was expecting it to be exaggerated because the stories that I have read in like my AOL spam folder years and years AOL. ago, ago <laughs> you know, Old think school. about all the way back then, uh, that you would hear, you would see pictures and some stories of some of this, but it came off like spam, yeah. like gossip. And since there wasn't any modern day drone footage and there wasn't any type of modern day pictures, I figured that if you were to actually get to these sites, which were hard to access, that it would be, it would be uh, not what people made it sound yeah. like, uh, that it would just be exaggerated by story after story. Um, and so uh, for me, as an analyst, I really was driven to say, all right, I got to go to Saudi Arabia somehow and go see these places and then maybe pass off the information to someone else or, or right, not right. have anything to do with it because I was in the media at the time. And if you're a national security, national security analyst talking about international affairs, like where does this, where does this fit into yeah. that? Um, but it turned out that uh, once I went there and then as I was putting together the footage, it just kind of became a movie on its own. Uh, when I want to explain to people why I was there, it just, became a documentary. And then because of my credibility in the news media, my connections in the news media, um, I was able to really push this out. Uh, so that's kind of how all those different things came together uh, for me in a really unique way. You wouldn't think that having a background in counterterrorism would intersect with biblical archaeology to the degree that it did. But uh, here we yeah, are. not at all, man. I mean, you know, back in the day, the uh, the Hebrews used to just go out and slay the Philistines. So maybe that's a connection. I mean, you were kind of like uh, yeah. working in counter terror. They were they were the original counter terrorists. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> what what do you, Don? What do you think, man? I know you were impacted by Ryan's video. What uh, I mean, what what do you think? Kind of talking to him in the studio, or what kind of impact did it make on you personally? It knocked me off my seat. I'll tell you the truth. The first time I've watched it, maybe four times. Okay. And I still... So he's, he's four of your eight million views, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> I got four of them in. Eight million four. But I really, really was impressed. And, you know, I believed the Bible. I believed everything in the Bible. But the bottom line is to actually see it and to hear you narrate it and show what you did. It just, it just knocked me off my feet. I just couldn't believe. I mean, I believed it, but it was like, here it is right in my face. And it was really... Uh, Great, really wonderful. Matter of fact, I just watched it not too long ago again. How about you, Nick? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was great, um, especially because, especially the Exodus. That's that's a story yeah. where it seems like every detail uh, about that story, somebody's tried to, you know, say it's not true. Like, oh, you know, I've heard people say, you know, actually they weren't even slaves at that time. Yeah, or, yeah. It was the Reed Sea, and you know, or you know, just all these different things but to uh, see the evidence that you you showed i think was was great yeah yeah you you uh you sound like like moses ryan i mean you said like moses you know oh, said on. send somebody else and and uh, <laughs> <laughs> moses said send somebody else and you know i mean that was kind of your initial thought process but I, I thought you wrapped it up at uh you know at the end of the video there where you kind of explain like uh god uses people who 
you know, sometimes, um, you know, aren't looking to be used. And, and, and maybe, too, that's the point of your research foundation, you know, doubt, the doubting. What, what went into the name, Doubting Thomas Research Foundation? Oh, it's because, and I'm very open about this, I have many uh, agnostic atheist days. Yeah. Um, but I believe God made me that way because I'm an analyst and researcher by nature. So, ha so I'm naturally going to be cynical and constantly testing my own thoughts yeah. and my own theories and stuff. So, um, and that makes my faith stronger over time. Uh, the fact that uh, I might embrace for a day uh, some agnostic arguments and then I review them and then I end up saying, no, that's actually kind of weak. And then I go back, I go back to being more devout of a Christian. Um, I think that's all healthy for my specific type of personality. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's why I identify with doubting Thomas, uh, because I'm the type of guy to be cynical about something right until you have a hundred percent proof in front Amen, of me. Yeah. I, I think we all are to a certain degree, you know, it's, um, mm -hmm. uh, I know that, you know, I, I've, in fact, I've shared this with, with Don, Nick, many times that, uh, you know, I've, I've struggled with doubts. I think everybody struggles with doubt. Oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I don't think you can really be a Christian if you don't doubt. That's, that's part of the faith journey is that, you know, we go through struggles. And There's that passage of, uh, you know, um, I do believe, but help me with my oh, yeah, yeah. unbelief. unbelief. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's the day. Thomas yeah. at one point could be like, let's go die with Jesus. And then oh, Jesus yeah, he did say that. Yeah, yeah. And then Jesus resurrects. <laughs> he's like, nah, I don't believe it. <laughs> you yeah. know? It's like, which, which day is it? Yeah, you know? at the death of Lazarus. Yeah. Lazarus, Thomas. Yeah. Thomas. Uh, Lazarus Thomas yeah. said that he was going to go, uh, said he said, let's go die with him. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, then he says, I won't believe it until I see. But I think doubts are, uh, and, and that's one thing that I hope our, our viewers get is that doubts are a very natural and normal part of the Christian experience. But I think to your point, God does call us in our faith journey to overcome those things. And he's put amazing things like this in our path. I think people like you, uh, resources like the video that you put together that can help people in their unbelief start to see that no, a lot of these stories are are true. Mm -hmm. It's 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 not just a metaphor. I mean, there's there's too many points about this whole uh, archaeological find. I guess if we could call it that in Jabal al Laws, aka Mount Sinai, and uh, you know the site of the Red Sea crossing and uh, Jethro's well, and all these different things that, like, if you believe the stories did happen, this is where they had to happen, and then you could actually see them happening here it, with with a land bridge that goes across an underwater yeah. land bridge that goes across the Red Sea. It's it's just incredible. So, amen. Any thoughts on that, Ryan? Just that I agree. Just that I agree with everything that you yeah. said. Um, and it's important for people to go to these places, and it's important for people to see them. Um, so that it, it just brings it to life in a whole new way instead of just reading yeah. text and leaving it to your imagination. Like one of the things that amazed me the most uh, when I went to northwestern Saudi Arabia was that if you follow the biblical instructions of which directions they traveled, you run into all of these spots. That's yeah. how you find them. Basically, what the Bible was describing was the pathway through the valleys. Uh, it wasn't, they weren't random directions, like there are specific valleys that the masses of the Israelites had to walk through, going south, west, whatever, and the Bible is just describing the layout 
of those valleys and the intersections where to turn when it's necessary. It's really very precise. Yeah, yeah I agree, man. Amen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen. What do you think of our billboards and us pushing out in the community? Are, are we crazy people or what? Well, I can't speak to whether you're crazy or not. I need to. <laughs> I am. Uh, do well, a well these guys will tell you I'm crazy. For crazy for Jesus. <laughs> There's no such thing as genius without a touch of madness. Uh, okay, yeah. I mean, we, we do have doubts, though. That is a though. true quote. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah no, I mean, I like pushing things out into the culture. Um, I think it, um, I think anything that raises the conversation yeah. is good. Um, I sometimes have mixed feelings on different tactics yeah. because it depends on what type of mood I'm in that day. Like, sometimes uh, on my agnostic days, I could see signs like that, and I might be repulsed a little bit because it's a little aggressive. And then there's other days where I'm like, no, that's good because it's sparking conversation in that critical. Yeah, thing. yeah. Uh, and that's why it's important to have different ways of pushing these things out into the culture. Yeah. Um, so you may, someone may not like a particular tactic, but that tactic will still be necessary because not everyone is yep, the same. I, uh, different tactics reach different kinds of personalities. Yeah, right? a- amen. I, I've had yeah. this conversation with a lot of people that it, it takes many different kinds of people to make the kingdom effective. And, you know, like, um, there's people, I, I look at, at Nick and what you do with the Catholic OCD, uh, objective Christian doctrine, not obsessive Christian doctrine, you know, so you, you get heavy into doctrine and you talk about doctrinal things on your show it, and, uh, yeah, you know, theological, theological stuff, you know, it, uh, I, in what you do, Ryan, with, in terms of, you know, demonstrating some of the stuff, the research that you're doing, it's really honestly, it, it's necessary as well. I know in, like in, in my heart, having been a pastor for over 20 years, um, a lot of the stuff that I do now on the podcast, I, there are things that I necess- couldn't necessarily do from the pulpit. I wouldn't be able to preach a sermon on something or, uh, you know, or touch on a particular topic. And so, you know, the very idea of trying to push out into the culture the way that we have uh, has, uh, you know, it's, it's been a little interesting and I think it's, there's been a bit, a little bit of a learning curve as well, but, um, I find inspiration from people in the Bible and, uh, just look at a lot of what we've got going on. And to me, I, I look at some of the things you've shared, some of the things that like my son goes through in school. And I, I think, of course I, you know, I went through public education as well, but I, can't help but feel that some of the things we're being taught are undercutting faith. They're undercutting the, these Bible stories and making us feel like, you know, maybe from the time our kids are born and they're, you know, they're, they're going through, through school, they're immersed in culture, you know, whether it's the Jurassic Park movies or, and the thing is like, I'm not one to say, hey, let's not watch this stuff. Let's not, uh, let, you know, let's, let's let's not be in the world because christ clearly taught us to be in the world but um you know let's at least realize that some of the some of the the thoughts that we have some of the things that we go through um they're they make us a product of our circumstances and i i'm one that wants people to start thinking that maybe things don't have to be this way uh maybe maybe we can look at the bible from a position of faith and, and how does it change our perspective if these stories are true? How, what is the, uh, what, goodness, what, what does it mean if, what does it mean if this world was flooded, you know, some four, five, six thousand years ago? 
what does it mean? How does it change our perspective? You know, how does it take the the person who might just look at the Bible and go, oh, well, we we don't know if if this happened or not. And, and there's a lot of people in Christian churches that kind of just take this mindset, like, we don't know. How does it change somebody's perspective if the Exodus actually happened? If the Red Sea was parted, and that was one of the big things for me when I started to see this location and the Red Sea crossing and P. Hahi Roth. I don't know if I said that right or not, Ryan. You did. <laughs> it's, the, it's the place where the Israelites were hemmed in there on Nueva Beach. And, uh, and like when you see it, you see the, the rocks, the mountains, they're, they're hemmed in. Like they're, they're going to be uh, extinguished. There's going to be a great genocide. Pharaoh's army is going to come in and wipe them out. And, and and I remember watching a show on the History Channel, and there and like Nick mentioned this, the Reed Sea. They talked this guy talked about, and you know there was a little mini tsunami, and it it made a little part in the you know little tiny puddle. It, it looked yeah, like right. you know it didn't even look like the the Red Sea. You know the way they described it there, but they're finding not not that I'm always against this kind of stuff, but they're finding naturalistic explanations for some of these supernatural miracles that we see in the Bible. Um, a lot yeah, of people just have desperate it. to make it digestible, make it digestible is really. Yeah. What yeah. Is. Yeah. And, and so seeing, seeing the mountains, seeing Nueva beach, it, it, it gave, it just made me think, wow, this, the scale of this, it's massive. It's incredible. I mean, it, it, it actually makes me, it changes my faith. And I think for a lot of people, what if this is true? What if God actually physically, supernaturally parted the sea here? Like, what if, what if this is true, and how does this, how does this change our mindset? Like, and, you know, like, I know we want people, we want people to see the truth of Christ, and I'll get off my soapbox in a second here. Um, one of the scriptures I go to all the time is Acts chapter 17, where Paul is talking to the Athenians. And, you know, he, he goes into the Areopagus and he, he references the statue to the unknown God. And as a pastor, I've preached on this passage many times how sensitive Paul was, Mr. Sensitive Paul. He goes in there and he talks about the statue to the unknown God. But after that, he lays the biblical narrative over top of the pagan culture that he's in. And he says that God made, one, made every man from one man and that God one day is going to judge all men by that one man who he raised from the dead. So I, th I think a lot of people don't realize that whether we wanted to or not, this biblical narrative of the exodus, of the flood, of all these things, it's, it, it's going to impact us one way or another. And, you know, we just want people to see the truth. So, uh, okay, so that's it. I'm done preaching. It's the pastor in me. That was good. But, <laughs> but uh, Ryan, you're doing some, you're doing some tours of this uh of this site and, and this is something that i thought was really cool because in studying it and seeing your video and seeing all the different you know the, the high definition drone footage that you got like I, I thought man i hope one day in my life to be able to visit these locations i just thought all of this stuff was closed off and so um i've actually got a uh we've got a little promo video of your tours that you do uh, so we're going to show that to people, and then if you want, you can uh, tell people how they can be a part of it. But here we go.
All right, man. Well, uh, well done. Well done. That's uh, awesome. Did, did Logan put that together for you, the video? Yes. Yes, he did. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll give I'll a little shout out to Logan. That. He might, he might be a behind the scenes guy, but we're going to give a little shout out to him here. So, uh, yeah, tell people about, <laughs> tell, tell, uh, tell people about the tour, man. How do they, uh, how do they jump into this thing? Well, they can go to Mount Sinai tours.com and they can sign up for a tour, um, that at that site. Um, or they can also contact us and we can set up a tour around their schedule. <clears throat> so we, our next tour is in October. Um, but if someone can't go then, then we're going again back in the spring of next year. Um, but it's also possible for us if there's a church group or a ministry group or just a group of someone and their friends, uh, for us to make a custom tour and go at a time that works for you. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It is, so what is the, what's the cost like? I mean, cause I would think for something like this, I mean, it's probably like super expensive. I would have, I, I didn't even know it was possible to get into Saudi Arabia. I, I know that when it was initially discovered by uh, Ron Wyatt, who we've talked about him a little bit in uh, preceding episodes here, he actually did some some jail time, you know, is it, 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 it like, tell us a little bit about that. Is it, is it safe? Is it, uh, I mean, is it, um, is it economical? How, do, how does this work? Mm -hmm. It's roughly about the same price as a trip to Israel from some of the tour packages that I've seen uh, going to Israel. So it's roughly uh, somewhere okay. in the $4,000 range, not including the airfare. Yeah. Um, but then there's different deals that uh, I think can be made depending on the size of the group. If the group is bigger, then the price goes down a little bit. Um, so there's an incentive there to bring people. Um, but as for it being safe, it actually is really safe. The Saudis that are there are going to enjoy coming up and talking to you because many of them have not engaged an American face-to-face -face before. Okay. Um, and it's still the Middle East, so I don't want to make it sound like this is, you know, totally and completely safe because I don't want to lie to you. And also part of the fun is the adventure. Yeah. Um, but this is as safe as can be reasonably expected in the Middle East. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Uh, and things have changed. So before, tourism was banned in Saudi Arabia. When I went there, tourism was banned. That's why people couldn't get in. And then you had the additional ah, layer of security okay. around the sites. Now what's happened is that the Saudis have opened up their doors specifically to us to do these tours. Uh, sometimes they have the police following us, and that's fine. Um, but they're actually welcoming this now. They want to get tourism revenue. They want to open up to the outside world. Yeah. So it's changed, but I also don't know how long it'll last because this is a bit of a touchy subject. The Saudis will not openly say this is Mount Sinai or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and you just never know what happens in the Middle East. If this were to become <laughs> too controversial or something bad were to happen on a trip, it's possible that they shut it down. Yeah. Um, so that's why I urge people to go sooner rather than later. And then the additional reason they should go sooner rather than later is because of the construction that's going on in the area. The Saudis are building a super city called Neom. Wow. It's supposed to be 33 times the size of New York City with the quality of Dubai. And all the construction plans include the, the Mount Sinai area. Uh, keep in mind that this area, for the most part, has not had a shovel put into it to try to find artifacts. Yeah. So I'm very concerned about the construction of Neom 
and how it could in fact uh, affect the ability of us to do archaeology in the future how certain things might accidentally get destroyed but most importantly for people who want to go on a tour it affects the scenery like i love going deep into the desert and feeling like you're one of the israelites following moses and, and really getting a feel for what it was like um but if you have swimming pools and ski lifts everywhere it's kind of hard to feel that way yeah yeah true yeah definitely i have some good marketing advice for you okay oh so boy. because of you know like you talk about ron white how he got arrested and yeah, stuff yeah. like that and, you know a little bit of danger but it, some people like that that they like the risk part so when you're going to see mount sinai so you could include a sinai hat shirt and then a capsule <laughs> A cyanide capsule. That could backfire, In case though. you get in jail. Oh, you know? that would backfire. <laughs> oh, man. They would but assume I mean, we have money then, right? Tour, there's things that we can come up with. You know, if, there, if there's people that say, oh, the level of danger isn't high enough, then you can set up a specific tour with us and we'll make it more dangerous yeah. for you. I, I'm kind of an adrenaline junkie. I don't know. Maybe I, I could appreciate that. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I'm in one way or the other. But uh, yeah, you're, you'll be wearing only red, white, and blue everywhere you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean, I honestly, I, I think it's great. Do you want to? Do you want to kind of walk us through some of the? Uh, we've got some images here that we can show people. Sure. Let's do want uh, Do you want to kind of walk us through some of that? Film. Yeah. I, I think the first thing that we have is uh, basically it's the altar of Moses. Yes, so this is uh, really interesting. So in the book of Exodus, it says that Moses built up, uh, built an altar at the foot of the mountain, which would also include an animal sacrificial system okay. because that's what you use the altar for. And God also told Moses to set up 12 pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel next to that altar system. So when you go to this mountain that we believe is the real Mount Sinai and you go to the foot of it, what do you find? you find what looks to be the altar and sacrificial system. You see yeah. uh, where the animals would have been lined up in preparation for the sacrifices to be made. And right next to it, you find uh, nine, there used to be 10 of these marble pillars. Now, some people say that the marble pillars uh, are not connected to the animal sacrifice system. Uh, others say, I mean, what is the coincidence of that? Uh, it, it's remarkable. Um, so just to present both sides of the argument, some people will say, oh, well, the marble pillars must have come later because it doesn't fit into the archaeology of what we know at the time. But keep in mind that uh, the knowledge of archaeology is constantly changing, especially when it comes to dating different things. Yeah. And if you look up any type of archaeological magazine or, or even studies, uh, what you'll see is that there's all this debate about almost everything and how to date everything. Uh, so... N nothing is really for sure except for a, sh a tiny percentage of things in archaeology. To me, uh, you look at what appears to be the altar and the sacrificial system, and you have marble pillars right next to it, just like the Bible describes, and I say, that's kind of a crazy coincidence. Yeah, it's one of those things that just fits. I, I know with the dating thing, I saw um, Tim Mahoney put together a documentary on the dating of Egypt, Egyptian history, and how that's kind of a debated topic, and it, it can actually lead to a, uh, uh, I guess a, a different, maybe more accurate dating of the Exodus to, you know, help you see uh, the, the truth of some of these things. So, right. So something you may think doesn't add up because, oh, it's not from the right time period. But then if somewhere in the archaeological record, something shifts just by a, a short period of time, then all these other things shift and then suddenly it lines up. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. And then uh, what about the cave of Elijah? We, we're looking at a picture of it now. I think it's looking out outward. 
from uh, inside this cave. And I know this is one thing that I've told our audience. The traditional site of Mount Sinai, which was uh, said to be Mount Sinai by the Emperor Constantine's mother, does not, it doesn't have a cave. This is one of those things where, you know, that doesn't kind of line up. Um, but this, but this does, this site does. Yeah. Well, the traditional site also doesn't have anything. So uh, <laughs> that, that would include, uh, it didn't have well. an exodus. <laughs> right. It didn't have an exodus. Um, but the cave of Elijah, we know that Elijah went to Mount Sinai and he went into a cave and yeah. right in the area on the part of the mountain where you find all this other stuff, uh, there is a cave higher up on the mountain and Obviously, if he was looking to go somewhere, like that's the cave he would choose. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, I mean, and just being in some of these areas, these places, has to be just incredibly uh, faith-building, nostalgic. Just wow, I'm I'm standing, I'm I'm where Elijah was, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Where he heard Amen. the still small voice of God. I mean, holy cow, that's incredible. Uh, we also have the caves of Jethro. Yeah, this is another cool thing. Now, some of these sites the Saudis actually do embrace <clears throat> as being connected to the Exodus. So in the Al-Bad area, which is like the capital of Midian, um, it, you know, Moses fled to Midian for 40 years when he was uh, running away from the Egyptians. And Midian is where Mount Sinai is supposed to be or Mount Sinai just outside of the borders of Midian. And so in this area that is like the capital of Midian, there's a section of caves that the Saudis themselves say are the caves of Jethro. That wow. this is, and if you go there now, and it didn't, wasn't always this way, they have a sign on the fences where they actually say that this dates back to the time of where there was a Midianite tribe living there in that cave. Wow. So it's, and that was something that was contested again, by the way. Some people were saying, oh, well, because there's these designs on the outside of the caves, they must be Nabataean. But yeah. guess what? Caves can be reused. They right, 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 right. That, yeah. That's what happens. Yeah. Uh, sometimes uh, so people now, just see what they want to see, you know. I think right. that's so the... now the Saudis though, the official position is is that this dates back to the time of Midian. A Midian okay, okay, wow. Of Jethro. So Yeah. Well that's pretty cool. I, yeah. I know that um yeah, I, I frequently point people to uh uh Joel Richardson. He he put together uh, basically like an, uh, it's like an eight hour academic series. Yeah. Uh, what, <laughs> um, it, it, but I, w one thing that it's very good for is it's very meticulous in going over some of those, uh, you know, things like the ancient location of Midian and the traditional site of Mount Sinai isn't in Midian, isn't even in ancient Midian. It's in ancient Egypt. I mean, the Israelites left Egypt to go to Midian. So, you know, these, these caves of Jethro have to be in the correct location here. So, yeah. Well, what critics will say is that the borders of Egypt did not include the Sinai Peninsula at that time, but that's not much of an escape to me. Yeah. Like, no, I'm yeah, pretty yeah. sure if Moses and the Israelites are running for their lives, they're not going to yeah. go just a little bit outside the border where they can still be attacked. Yeah, yeah, it, it doesn't make much sense. We're also looking at the uh, Elam Oasis. Yes. So we know from, uh, again, the book of Exodus that they're thirsty. They really need water. And so uh, God basically arranges for them to stop by this spot with 70 palm trees and 12 wells of water, representing the 70 elders and the 12 tribes. And this is actually of the entire <clears throat> Exodus story, my favorite miracle. And the reason is because it's kind of simplistic and it's most applicable to your life. Like how many times in your life have you needed something very specifically and yeah. then out of nowhere against 
all mathematical odds, it shows up for you. Well, that's what happened there at Elon. Yeah. They needed to have wells, and they what they got were 12 wells representing the 12 tribes of Israel. It was perfect. It was able to separate the tribes, so they each had their own well, and those 12 wells still exist today. That's um, incredible. And, I, I yeah. thought that was yeah. amazing. And, yeah. and the the drone footage that you got of that of that location uh, in your in your in your movie was just incredible. I mean, it was it was amazing. Um, was that where you had it? It looked like it was going through an archway. You had a little drone kind of going yes. through the archway yep. at, at Elam. Um, but another one of those things where if you trace, you trace the route across the Red Sea, uh, and, and then they come to the, uh, the bitter waters. And then after that is, is Elam. And you know, you, you, it just, it all fits. It's just another one of those things that in the Bible it fits. Uh, what about the graveyard? Uh, excuse me, the golden calf. I think that's next. The gold, the altar uh, so of the that, golden calf. This is one of the more fascinating things here. Right. So that is when we know from the Bible some of the Israelites start worshiping a golden calf because Moses is up on Mount Sinai. He's taking longer than expected. They assume that he died. Therefore, the Egyptian gods won, and so they start worshiping a golden calf. Now, right, kind of in front of what we think is Mount Sinai is a bull worship site where you can actually see drawings on this structure of people upholding, like they're wow. worshiping bulls. Yeah, we're looking at a picture of a bull on the side of a uh, of the rock there. Right, and it's massive, and you could see how, as Moses was coming down from the mountain, he would see it. Yeah. Like, the way the mountain is structured, he would actually, as he's coming down, first hear the noise, because it's like an, a natural amphitheater, and then he would see what they were doing and then be just furious and then come up to them and say, <laughs> all right, well, like, I'm destroying Like this Charlton and, Heston, uh, throwing down the... Yeah, right. Thrown exactly. down. Go they were probably like, no, that, that's a couch we drew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and then they got swallowed up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, incredible. So so many amazing things. The, the graveyard, this was one of the... Uh, more interesting things. I, I guess a lot of people wouldn't think of. I, we're looking at a picture here. It looks like a giant, like giant rock standing up there, kind of like a tombstone, and then a bunch of. Uh, I, I guess maybe it looks like an ancient burial site. Right. Well, this site is so big that it was hard for me to capture it with a drone footage. Yeah. Um, but it's a massive graveyard that's kind of just outside the area where they would have camped okay. at Mount Sinai, which, according to the Israelite laws. Um, where you would bury someone, you would not bury them in the campground. You yeah. have to bury them just outside of it. And that's where you find this massive graveyard. Okay. And the local tradition that existed before I was there, before Ron Wyatt was there, um, that Saudis will tell you, is that Jews are buried there. Wow. And yeah. And so the theory is, is that maybe this is where the golden calf worshipers were buried, or maybe it was just a more generic graveyard. Whatever the case may be, we yeah. actually on my last tour met a Saudi who was telling us how growing up uh, his family brought him to this site to say, yeah, this is where uh, the Jews that came to, from Egypt to this area are buried. Huh. Fascinating. Um, I guess you got lots of candidates. You had the people who died from that, the people who died from the snakes, the, and then they all died before they went into the promised land. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> Lots of death. Uh, I think next we have the Magna Magna Spring. Right. So that's another site in northwestern Saudi Arabia where the Saudis, it'll actually appear on a map where they call it the Springs of Moses. Okay. And we don't know if that's related to the Bitter Springs or not, or if it's, you know, some people will say that that's actually Elam with 12 wells. 
you, you don't really know. All, all we know is that this is an oasis that just from common sense, the Israelites would have gone to. And there's an extremely strong tradition that Moses and the Israelites were there. And of course they would be there. Uh, if you're traveling around northwestern Saudi Arabia, you would obviously go to uh, an oasis like this in order to have water and a place to rest. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Wow. Uh, Mount Sinai itself uh, with the blackened peak. It right. Again, so there's some debate about the blackened peak. Some people say that's evidence of God descending as a fire. Uh, other people say when God descended, it was probably more like the burning bush and that what you're looking at is old volcanic rock. I don't know that you would actually be able to tell the difference. If God did torch the top of Mount Sinai, <laughs> would you necessarily be able to tell the difference between that and volcanic rock? Yeah, I, yeah. I yeah. don't know. I mean, it... <laughs> um, so I don't go, you know, I don't necessarily go to bat, bat saying that the peak is necessarily burned that way because I can't prove it. But when you look at it, it's pretty striking. Yeah, it um, is. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and there's so many elements of this, like you've said, that match the biblical story that, I mean, it's really irrelevant, it, you know, right. I mean, wh whether it looked that way and God appeared and, you know, however that, however that happened, I mean, it's really irrelevant because there's yeah. so much well, stuff. Well, that the bottom up. line is, is that according to the Bible, the Mount Sinai was in Midian or, or just outside of Midian, depending on where you think the border is. Yeah. And Josephus and all these other historical sources say it was the highest mountain uh, in or right by the land of Midian, which is Jebel El Laws, the Jebel El Laws range, specifically yeah. a peak called Jebel Makla. So this undoubtedly is it. And so when you take what is, I think, pretty clearly the real Mount Sinai, and then you have the darkened peak at the top, uh, I, I mean, it's a pretty yeah. remarkable coincidence. Yeah, totally, totally. There, there's also uh, a proto-Hebrew writing uh, that that we see, I guess, all over the place, and I've heard you know different reports from people that they're just finding new stuff all the time as they they walk around the mountain. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we. It seems that every tour we go on, we end up finding something more, particularly in terms of inscriptions. And so, Dr. Miles Jones is an expert in the evolution of the alphabet, and he says that these inscriptions that are in northwestern Saudi Arabia are proto-Hebrew, and our research testing that indicates that that's certainly true. Um, we're as confident of that as we possibly can be. And so you'll go and you'll see ancient proto-Hebrew writing that would match what the ancient Israelites would have written in some areas. Now, specifically, one of the symbols you'll see a lot in these inscriptions is that of a foot or a sandal. And basically what that means is, with the writing next to it, is the sole of the foot. Yeah. In other words, we are here this is our campground. I think that's what we're looking at here is uh, uh, the foot. And, and, yeah. and two, that was that when uh, in God said to the Israelites that, that wherever the sole of your foot treads, right? I mean, that, that's, right. that would be their, their land. It was kind of like them taking the promises of God to heart. Right. And what, what do you see in the Mount Sinai area? You see all these proto-Hebrew inscriptions saying the sole of the foot when yeah. using a drawing of a foot. Yeah, absolutely cool, man. Amazing. Awesome. Uh, and then we have the Red Sea, and I, I think we've. Uh, it, it, this must be the Nueva Beach yes. location, I believe, that we're looking at here. Yeah, on the Egyptian side, it's the Nueva Beach. And what's fascinating about this, as you mentioned earlier, is that if the waters were to part, there's a land path yeah. that goes from that you could actually walk that goes from the Egyptian side 
over to the Midian side, the Saudi side. Uh, and so that's been calculated scientifically. We know that that's there. And again, it's just one of those remarkable coincidences. You've got to ask yourself if this miracle happened and they crossed through the sea, well, what did they walk on? If it's too steep, it, it doesn't make sense because these are humans, they would die. Um, if there's no land path there, then, then how does it work at all? Uh, but here, right at this spot, on a beach that's large enough to accommodate the Israelite population, you actually see how they could have escaped from Egypt to Saudi Arabia, modern-day Saudi Arabia, yeah. going through the waters. I thought that was one of the more interesting things is how, like, there's nowhere that if the water was taken out, they could actually cross except for this one location. You know, right. so I mean, it's, it's one thing to make a story up, right, yeah. Nick? But, like, but it's another thing to actually see where this could actually happen. And then, of course, you've got, you know, some of these, you know, reports of coral formations that look like ancient Egyptian chariot parts. What was your take on that, Nick, when we looked at some of those things? Uh, the, the, the coral? The, yeah, the coral like and chariot parts. Yeah, the, mean, the whole idea of the Red Sea, I mean, just... Yeah, I definitely... The, the pathway, especially. Because I guess as a young kid, like, you never even think about that. Like, yeah. the waters could part, but if there's no pathway... There's no way right, to, right. to go. One of the things I found interesting, and I, I'd like, Ryan, your your uh, insight on this to go with the discussion me and AJ had a couple of days ago. So in Corinthians, it talked about how they were all baptized into Moses going through the sea. So in your knowledge, um, when they went through the Red Sea, would they have taken infants with them <laughs> this is yeah. this is a shameless plug yes. for the catholic ocd podcast so if, uh, episode so where saying, we talked about baptism it's your it's your historical shameless plug that uh infants were baptized into moses interesting interesting <laughs> <laughs> well and they, played, my friend. they were also circumcised as well you know so uh, yeah, yeah the people have to tune in for the uh the conclusion of that but, uh, but so uh, we also, um, getting back, getting back, <laughs> one of the more fascinating things that we find uh, is the, let me see if I can find, here's you leading a tour. Uh, I'm not sure, this, this must be the 12 Springs, I would imagine. Um, and then we also have the Split Rock, which the Split Rock is one of the more, I think, am I right in saying this, Ryan, captivating uh, oh, yeah. parts of the whole thing, this just giant, and it's, it's huge. Yeah, it's so big that in my film, uh, when I show it towards the end, uh, people don't notice that I'm actually right there with, with my cousin. You can't even wow. see me uh, right underneath it. You have to look for us. Um, and so we look like ants compared to this massive rock um, that tradition holds is the Rock of Horeb. It's the split rock. Um, and people will actually, local Saudis will call it uh, the area that is uh, the water of Moses or the split rock of Moses, um, different names like this. Uh, again, all traditions that pre-existed us Americans ever talking about this. And when you look at the rock, it, it's split down the middle and the rock underneath it is smooth. Yeah. As if there was tons of running water coming down from it, smoothening out the rock. Like when you're driving to it, it's all rough. And then all of a sudden, you can tell something very distinct happened here because the, the terrain changes so much. Now, what critics will say is that that is a hoodoo, H-O-O-D-O-O, -O -O, okay. which is where there, uh, in certain spots, like in the desert, the sand going uh, being transported by the wind would 
chop at away at a rock and then we'd give it that smooth in shape. But we looked at lots of pictures of hoodoos and we didn't see anything like this. And what we also found was that there was on one scientific website, they said, well, hoodoo can also be formed by running water. So, <laughs> yeah. so if another example say, of you oh, see well, what you want to see, hoodoo, you can say, well, yeah, that's kind of the whole point. Yeah. Right. Now, what do you think, Don? I think it's awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, like the land bridge, I've said this before, it, just in the land bridge itself, when God created this earth, that he put that so far ahead of time that he knew that this is where he was going to bring his people and this is where they were going to go across. And I just thought that was awesome that God pre-planned this so many years prior to that. It just, you know, knows that God knew you long before you ever existed on this earth. And then to look at this rock and how humongous it is and the water, you know, I always figured it was probably uh, four foot or five foot in diameter, but to see this, holy mackerel, yeah. I could just imagine the water that was gushing out of there. It's one of those things like, I think it was uh, the, the Caldwells who initially discovered this. If you yeah. study like the history of, of the different uh, people that have been involved in this location in Mount Sinai, uh, a lot of that started with Ron Wyatt. I, I'm actually interested, Ryan, what's your kind of your take on him? I know we've, we've looked at him on this show uh, because he, I mean, for, for better or worse, he definitely had a love for the Lord. I mean, definitely, you know, had a strong faith that was in, in large part what uh, drove him to do what he did. Uh, you know, of course, he also had that uh, interesting testimony, if you want to say that, about uh, about the Ark of the Covenant, about you know finding the Ark of the Covenant, and you know what, what's your take on Ron White? Because I think a lot of people, a lot of skeptics, if we're talking about you know doubting Thomases out there, a lot of people are going to dismiss. They do dismiss some of these things because of his name. Sure. Well, I can't really speak much to Ron White because I never met him before he passed away, and I haven't evaluated all of his claims yet, uh, so that's kind of a work in progress for me. I can say when it comes to the issue of Mount Sinai, I don't see any evidence that he lied or fabricated yeah. anything. Um, everything is just like he said it was. Um, and then Jim and Penny Caldwell then found other things like the split rock and Elam and other things. So sometimes this all gets conflated where people say it was only Ron Wyatt when actually uh, a lot of that was Jim and Penny Caldwell. Um, everyone I've met who knew Ron uh, have said he was honest there and they didn't see any signs that he was a con man. Uh, but again, I haven't I haven't evaluated all of his claims, so I can't really make nope. an overall judgment on on his discoveries yet but yeah. some of them are really interesting like particularly sodom and gomorrah um where i did go to one of the sites that he says is one of the five cities of the plain and there are those sulfur balls that you can pick up it's and interesting and light yeah 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 fascinating um yeah it, it is something that you come across in looking at these locations and you know mentioning his name i know i'll see comments flood in online people saying either you know he heard from the lord or you know he was a lot ron wyatt was a liar you know you hear all these different uh, just such a polarizing and i think it's the part that to me is a, is kind of a shame is that people will dismiss things like this because of that because they you know they weren't discovered uh, or popularized by, you know, a trained archaeologist, whatever that means, you know, but well, the, the trained if, people if, are the ones who don't believe problem, it happened. Yeah. Well, if you run into that problem, what, what's amazing now is that. Yeah. Three of the site for sure. 
Um, but Joel Richardson does a, a particularly well, a particularly good job of explaining this, how just by going through other sources, you reach the same conclusion. Yeah. So if someone is hung up on the Ron Wyatt uh, thing, they can, you can actually remove that from the argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And none of this is reliant upon him anymore. Yeah. Well, some of the, um, even the names, and, and you got into this in, in your video, the Mountain of Moses, you know, the, these local names. I, and I just found yeah. out that Nueva Beach, the full name of Nueva Beach, apparently it, it means the, the way of Moses. Uh, I, I've heard that, and I, I think, I believe Logan and I were researching this, and, and yeah. we came down the side that it doesn't mean that, okay. to be honest with you, just okay. to be try as objective as possible, yeah. but that's something we can look at again. Yeah, interesting. Uh, so, um, yeah, so I, I guess uh, we can maybe finish up here by you telling us about your new project you're working on. Um, it, it's something to do with the wilderness, the wilderness project, and we've got a, a map here. Uh, of some different locations. I don't know if you want to tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Well, there's a couple things that we're working on. Uh, real quick, the one other site that people can see if they go on the tour is the Well of Moses, okay. which, again, the Saudis do point out and say, this is the Well of Moses. It's yeah. on maps there. Okay. And it's said to be where Moses met the daughters of Jethro. Uh, so that's a cool spot to go to. Yeah. Um, as for the other projects we're doing, one of the Incredible. projects that we're trying to raise money for is the Wilderness Project, where we're trying to map out where the 40 years of wandering may have taken place. And we're doing that by pointing, trying to pinpoint all the spots where those sandals. Wow. <laughs> I, I mean, not, not just the, you know, we're not just talking about the Sinai Peninsula. We're talking about the Arabian Peninsula. That's a large, that is, that's a huge area. And, th and that's not where people normally, you know, associate this with the Exodus. Exactly. Exactly. And so we're hoping that can lead to finding more evidence and also just kind of answering that question of where did the wandering take place? If Mount Sinai really is Jebel Laws slash Jebel Makla, then the 40 years of wandering was around the Arabian Peninsula, yeah. not in the much smaller Sinai Peninsula where it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But the Arabian Peninsula, you could wander around for 40 years. Holy and cow. so by tracing and those inscriptions, we're hoping that we can lay out the, uh, the path and really uh, make what could be a smoking gun to this whole argument. Yeah, that, that is incredible. I mean, we're, we're actually just looking at the map now. I mean, and you can see the, the scope and the scale of this thing. Um, yeah, it's huge. It, it's just massive. I mean, would, would you ever would you ever try to uh, book a tour of the wil well, the wilderness? Would it take forty years to uh, to complete? <laughs> we could probably do it faster because we have cars and airplanes and all that. But um, I'm not quite ready yet to do a tour of the air of that because we're still in the research phase. We want to make sure that we have complete all the research first, trace where all the inscriptions are trace where the old Semitic na uh, place names are and see if there's a connection to that and see if there's a connection to this, these other uh, really interesting archaeological sites that have popped up uh, that the experts say they don't know who is responsible for these archaeological sites and see if there's a correlation. So if old Semitic place names correlate to Proto-Hebrew inscriptions and then that correlates to these mysterious archaeological sites by a nomadic population that is still unidentified, 
then I think you have something really significant ready to be found. Yeah, that uh, that is quite incredible. And, and again, it's just really pointing to the truth of the Bible. I think that was something that we Definitely. started off with, mm-hmm. uh, something that energizes me. I know I'm I'm just really excited to see some of these locations and uh, and just again very excited to get a chance to connect with you, Ryan. Thank you for joining us on our mm-hmm. show today. Definitely. We are, uh, uh, we are just so glad to meet you and see everything that you're doing. We hope that you are just encouraged uh, that God's using you in an incredible and a mighty way. So, um, guys, did you have any, uh, any parting thoughts for, for Ryan? Any I questions did, you want to ask him? I was just going to say it's been a privilege yeah. and an honor to be able to sit here and listen to you and to go through this again with you because I was so overtaken with it to begin with. And then when uh, Pastor AJ had told me that we were going to have you on, I was like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, it was like, <laughs> wow. You know, and I really praise God for your diligence, for how you're trying to bring this out to the public and show them that this is not just a story, that this really, truly happened. And I really, I hope God blesses you richly in what you're doing. Thank you so much. How about you, Nick? Yeah, I mean, I really appreciate all your uh, research. It was really great having you on the show. Uh, I really especially enjoyed that part where you proved um, infant baptism is true, and it, I thought it was great. <laughs> All comes back to baptism. Oh, these Catholics, man, I'll tell you what. But uh, it, it, is, uh, it, it is great, Ryan. We really appreciate you, man, and uh, you know, such a blessing to us, such a blessing to our, to our audience as well, I believe. Um, you know, it's just been my prayer in trying to go on this whole Get Real, that's been the, this mm-hmm. series that we're on, is we're trying to show people the reality of the Bible. And, uh, you know, hoping that uh, people can, can grow in their faith. I think we've all struggled with doubts. Uh, I, I remember early on in my Christian experience when I first really started taking those steps of, of committing myself to Jesus, uh, a man I never met. Um, I just read about him in the Bible, and, and that's it, and how, um, you know, how challenging, how almost scary that can be. Um, but, uh, you know, but God gives us incredible peace, and there is truth, to these stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's not a myth. Uh, God, you know, he, he wrote these things down for our benefit. And, uh, that's one thing that you've been able to help us with here, Ryan. So thank you so much. We're going to, uh, we're going to close up shop here and, um, we always close with a word of prayer. So, uh, brother, we're going to pray for you and your ministry. You. And again, we just want to tell you how thankful we are for you praying that, uh, uh, God, encourages you to just keep plugging away at what you're doing because uh, you're, you're doing a great work there for him. Heavenly Father, thank we you. thank you so much, God, for who you are, and we want to come before you right now. We just want to thank you so much for our brother Ryan Morrow, yes, and Lord. we want to pray, God, that uh, we want to pray for the influence of the Lord uh, in his life, in his ministry, that, God, you would grow his, uh, his audience. We want to pray that you would take this message that he has. It's this message of truth of, of your Bible. It's, it's his story, his testimony, Lord God. And just like they preached their testimony to the testimonies to the nations in, in the early days of the church, Lord God, I see the same thing happening today. Uh, it's just happening through things like video and media and uh, social networks and things like that, Lord God. But we just want to pray for him, Lord, that you, your hand of protection would be on him uh, as he visits some of these locations that could even be dangerous. Uh, we want to yes. pray that uh, his tours are successful, Lord, 
and that you would allow people to go and see these things firsthand, Lord, so that they could grow in their faith. We also want to pray, God, that uh, other people would see the things that he does and the things that he says, and that they would be encouraged to believe because, God, we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is the, the, uh, th- these are living examples of your word, and we just want to pray for your, uh, your great, great joy, the abundance of courage and peace, God, and all that he does, Lord, and his family. Bless him mightily. Bless his ministry. Yes, we pray for the Doubting Thomas Research Foundation, God, that people would become believers. Many multitudes of people would become believers through their work, God. And we lift this all up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In fact, if uh, you've never uh, given your heart to Christ, that's one of the things we love to do here is give you an opportunity to express faith. And maybe you're like me or you're like Ryan, and at one point you've been a doubting Thomas. All you have to do in order to receive Christ is, uh, is actually express your faith to him. And so I want to encourage you right now to just say these words with me, because the Bible says all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And maybe you're hearing about it for the first time. All you have to do is express faith in Jesus. So just say these words with me right now, no matter where you are. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner and I need a savior. I ask you to come into my heart, change my life, Help me to have faith in you, Lord God, so that I can live for you in all that I do. I believe that you died for my sins and that you rose again three days later. So I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, if you did say that prayer for the first time, uh, we are so excited for you. And I guess we're excited also that it happened here on this show. we know that God has great, great things in store for you. And again, Ryan, we want to thank you. You have any uh, parting words for everybody as you joined us here on the podcast today? Uh, no, other than I would just plug our websites, uh, doubtingthomasresearch.com. Uh, you can sign up for tours at mountsinaitours.com. And then uh, we also have a side project where we're helping uh, Christian Afghans and other Afghans who are being hunted by the Taliban at afghanlibertyproject.org. Yeah, you know, that was something, um, I I guess I saw you had rescued a Jewish Afghan refugee. Uh, I don't know if you want to say a a brief word about that. Sure. So uh, there are some Pashtun Afghans who believe that they are of the lost tribes of Israel. And so they continue to practice some Jewish customs and one individual who was also an activist against uh, the Taliban, reached out, uh, was terrified that the Taliban was going to come kill him. Definitely, if they got their hands on him, they definitely would have. Um, But our organization, as a side thing, has been helping Christian Afghans um, and other Afghans who are at risk, like activists or those who served with U.S. forces, uh, to get humanitarian aid, um, in some cases, including evacuation out of the country. Wow. Um, and that's something where you can literally save a life for like 10 or $20 um, because that enables us to deliver a food package to someone who has no money because they can't get a job because the Taliban took over um, or allows us to provide certain medical aid to someone who's been injured. Uh, so it's really, uh, it's really easy to save a life nowadays. And so we offer that to people at afghanlibertyproject.org if that's something they're interested Holy in. Holy cow. Incredible, man. We love it. And, uh, appreciate, appreciate you again coming. Uh, where can people book these tours? 
Uh, again, it's uh, MountSinaiTours.com. Okay, awesome. Well, uh, God bless you, man. We appreciate you. God and bless you. we're out. Everybody, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks again, Ryan Morrow.